As Micah said, we're starting a brand new series today called True Identity, and I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible or you're tracking with us on your smartphone or tablet or something, turn to Ephesians, the first chapter. We're going we're to be spending a little bit of time there uh, in just a moment. Have you ever been to the State Fair or maybe Kings Island or another amusement park or county fair or something and had an artist draw your caricature? Anybody have that? Everybody done that? Yeah, you, you know, if you're not familiar with this, what happens is an artist will take a look at you and they will draw a picture and they will kind of highlight or exaggerate some facet of your face or your anatomy, okay? And if you think about it, it's meant to be humorous and you're the focus of the humor, right? And they're going to point out something about you that, that everyone's then going to look at the picture and laugh, okay? There's a picture, yeah, right here. You kind of get the idea right? Comical. Except if you're, if you think about it, you know, this artist who's never seen you, their first impression is that your nose is really big, or you've got, you got eyebrows that look like hedges, you know? And everyone gets a laugh at it, and they, there might be a part of you that gets a little self-conscious, right? You might start feeling like, hey, what's wrong with my nose? or my eyebrows, or my hair, or the lack thereof of my hair, and that wasn't the problem for me. It was the gap between my teeth that the artist thought was just so humorous. So I got these big teeth in my photo and the big gap you could drive a tractor trailer through. (laughs) See, and everybody thinks it's funny, except me. I didn't think it was that funny. Sometimes we get a perspective about ourselves that causes us to see the caricature version of us rather than the real version of us. For many of us, we have at one point or another believed something much more damaging than the size of our ears or our nose or the gap in our teeth. Possibly you believe that no one wanted you. No one wanted you. Or maybe a voice in your head told you that you were worthless because of the sin that you committed in your past. It was decades ago, and you knew God had forgiven you, but still, it seems to define you. Or maybe you were afraid, or you were insignificant, or maybe you lived under the belief that you were hopeless or your life was somehow meaningless. Enough people said it, enough times over the course of the life that you'd lived thus far, you just assumed that it was true. What if I told you that all of those are common lies that the spiritual enemy that you and I do battle with all the time tells us to try to disrupt and derail our lives? And that is not how God sees you. Chip Ingram is one of my favorite Bible teachers, certainly one of my favorite authors. So every time he puts a book out, I read it. But uh, this last year, he wrote a book on this very topic of how so many people believe the lies that Satan tells them. And the book was written with the intent to expose those lies. It's, it's entitled, Discover Your True Self, and I, I would encourage you to get a copy of this. If any of this series resonates with you, get a copy of this and spend a little bit of time walking through it. What, what he does in this, in this book is he, he kind of takes us through a study of the first three chapters of Ephesians, and he's going to be one of the resources that we use through this series. So I encourage you to get a copy of it. The series is titled, 
true identity, but there's a tagline to it. See yourself the way God sees you. It's a game changer. When you see yourself the way God sees you and you actually live that way. As we start this series, there's one other thing I want to let you know about. And this, this Wednesday, we're, we are starting an interactive uh, Bible study in the book of Ephesians. And this, did I say Saturday? No, I said Wednesday, right? In my head, I thought I said Saturday. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm losing it. Okay. Uh, this Wednesday evening, we're going to be doing uh, a study in the book of Ephesians. So if you want, to, you want to come and be part of that, we'd love for you to be a part of it. I think it's going to be really great. So It isn't surprising that our view of ourselves sometimes is different from reality. Not all the time, but sometimes. And with a flawed perspective of who we are, it's easy to develop a warped view of us, of self. In Ephesians, Paul points out that there are different perspective of how God sees us. In this series, we want to look at the lies that cause so many to live with this distorted view of themselves. Also, we want to talk about specific and practical ways to replace those lies with the truth. As long as we hold these distorted views of ourselves, we're going to be driven by unhealthy motives. We're going to, we're going to pursue desperately for validation, and we'll probably develop some dysfunctional relationships along the way when we do those things. So let me ask you this question, just personal. How do you see yourself? The reason that this is important is because one of God's main purposes is for us to know how he sees us, what he thinks about us, how valuable and important you are to him. Paul writes in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 3, <clears throat> he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul directs us to have an accurate perception of who we are. He says to think with sober judgment and with the faith that God has given us. God wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us. <clears throat> Earlier this week, I was in a, a meeting where uh, Mike McCormick, who preaches at Calvary Christian in Winchester, was sharing about a church plant that they're involved with down in Breathitt County, just a church revitalization uh, uh, project. And he told about this little girl who they've been ministering to over the course of the last couple years. <clears throat> she comes from a single-parent home. And so things have been kind of rough for her. But she asked one of the caregivers or one of the ministry workers there that she was working with this question. Why doesn't my dad want to see me? And when Mike said that, man, it just it really struck my heart. I thought how heartbreaking it is for a kid, a little kid, who has to ask that question. Why doesn't my dad, what's wrong with me is what she was saying. Is there something wrong with me? That my dad doesn't want to see me. Questions like that, thoughts like that, can cause a person to think something is wrong with them. Have you ever been in a place in life where you wonder, does anybody want me? Does anybody want to see me? If I wasn't here, would anybody miss me? 
Maybe you've listened to the voice in your head say, no one wants you. You've heard it over and over again. You see there's a battle that's being fought in the space in our minds. And oftentimes it influences how we think about ourselves if we listen to the wrong voice. Chip Ingram writes, human nature often draws us to whatever feels normal rather than what is right and good. You know, if you were told something enough times, if you were told that no one will ever want you enough times because you're ugly or they said you were overweight or because of some sinful act that you, you committed years ago, then eventually you may reach a point where you believe that that's actually true about you. And that doesn't mean that it's true. It just means that you believe it to be true. And the result is that you will live like you're not wanted. This is going to be a key throughout this entire series. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. His opinion really does matter. In fact, it probably matters more than anyone else's opinion of you. And we might even say it matters more than how we might see ourselves. Because what we're going to get when we see how he sees us, we're going to get a clear picture of what the most influential entity in all of the universe thinks about you and thinks about me. If we continue, though, to live by a distorted view of ourselves, we're going to be driven by unhealthy motives, unhealthy validation, and probably even some unhealthy relationships. So we need a caution. We need to see the caution signs in this, in this part of our journey. The worst part of all of this, though, is that we will not experience, if we're chasing after all those things, we're not going to experience the abundant life that God has for you. Because you're constantly searching for something else. When I was in junior high school, I was elected to student council. Yay, eighth grade representative, right? And uh, our student council had a fundraiser every year. Um, it was my only year on student council, so it was my one year. But we had a, a fundraiser, and it was a school dance, okay? And, uh, I mean, there you go. You remember those moments? Remember that? School dance, and it was, uh, we, we did the dance to raise funds so that we could do our student, student council projects and different things. So we were making the final preparations on the day of the dance. It was just an hour or so before the dance started. And our sponsor said this to us. We want to make sure everyone who attends gets to dance. We want everyone to enjoy their time at the dance. And that kind of resonated with me. I mean, as people started coming in, I started noticing my, student, my, my fellow students differently than before. And as the dance started, I, I, I kind of noticed that there was, first of all, the more popular students were dancing the whole night, right? They were out on the floor having a great time the whole night. But then there was another group of people. They had bought a ticket, they gotten, you know, dressed up, and they came, but they just stood on a line, you know, on one side, girls, and another line of boys on the other side, and they just stood there, you know, maybe tapping their toe to the, to the music, right? 
And I would see a guy walk by that row of girls and not even notice them. Or there would be a group of girls, you know, five or six of them, they traveled in packs in junior high, and they would go by that line of guys as if they weren't even there. And I, I started wondering, I wonder how that makes them feel. Because I kind of felt bad. I, I wondered if they felt rejected or if they, it hurt their feelings. Or maybe this had happened so many times in their life that this was just how it was for them. They were used to it. Whatever the case was, I felt this sense of compassion for them. And I, I decided to do my part to make sure that everyone had a good time at the dance. And so I walked up to a couple of girls who hadn't danced, I noticed, all night, and I asked them to dance. Now, this is a little risky because I'm not sure they're going to say yes. You know, maybe standing in the line was actually more exciting than dancing with me. But thankfully, everyone that I asked said yes. And I'm not sure that dancing with the 90-pound junior high version of me qualifies for having fun at any, you know, a good time at anything. But I wanted those girls to know that they mattered, that somebody noticed them. I didn't want any of them to feel rejected, if I could do anything to help that. It's easy for some people to go through life feeling unwanted because no one ever picks them. They're desperate to belong, to be valued by others, but instead they come to believe that rejection is just their reality. It's normal. It's always going to be that way. But that isn't actually true, because that isn't how God sees them. One of the best pictures of our true identity is found in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a huge metropolitan city, one of the largest in the Roman Empire. It was a regional hub of travel and business and commerce in Asia Minor. The first three chapters explain who we are in Christ, and the last three chapters explain how to live out that identity that we have in Christ. And Paul points out that the blessings we receive when we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he points those blessings out here in the first three chapters of Ephesians. So, if you have your Bible, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first six verses here real quick. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love... He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul starts with a common introduction of himself as the author and God's holy people in Ephesus as the recipients of this letter. Now this term, holy people, means simply to be set apart for God. These set-apart people are those in Ephesus who have trusted Jesus for their salvation, and they've had their sins washed away. This letter wasn't written to everyone in Ephesus. It was written to those who were believers in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, Paul writes the longest sentence in the entire New Testament original Greek. 
It's a string of these awesome thoughts that reveal the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul says right up front that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you're a Christ follower, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior, then you already have all these blessings. But here's the reality. You may not have learned how to experience them, to actually make them yours and live them. But they are yours. Nobody can take them away from you because God has given them to you. So we want to take a look at what these blessings are and how we might actually change our thinking and start living in a different way, the way that God sees us. The first of these blessings is found in verse four. The very first part, he says, for he chooses us in him before, before the creation of the world. What does he say? For he chooses us. Blessing number one, God chose you. God chose you. God made you for a relationship with him. You were handpicked by the creator of the universe. How awesome is that? And you know what it feels like to get picked, right? Everybody knows what it means to get picked. Growing up in our neighborhood where I lived on Southeast 2nd Street in Ankeny, Iowa, I was, uh, I was fortunate to have a, a bunch of kids that lived on our street. And we played all kinds of games. I mean, we played kickball in the street. We played uh, hide-and-seek, kick the can. We played all kinds of games. In fact, we even played lawn darts. You remember those? Lawn darts. I have the scar on my hand still for why I think they were outlawed in 1988. Because it came down and stuck in my hand. Man, that hurt. But it was fun. We played everything. But the one game that we played, everybody loved. It was by far the most most significant game we played, it was football. The older guys would get us to go down to the end of our street and we'd go to the schoolyard there and we would pick teams and then we would play tackle football. In fact, our, our street had its own team. We even played other streets, other neighborhoods. We would have games. We would organize that. Now, when I say we, I was just a little guy. I was still in elementary. But when, when we would go to the schoolyard and we would pick teams, I was always like, come on, pick me, pick me. Now, I was, I was one of the little guys, right? Just fifth grade, fourth grade. And uh, not everybody got picked. I spent a few of my Saturday afternoons just frustrated watching everybody else play while I stood on the sidelines, not getting to play. But most of the time, most of the time, I got picked. I got chosen. Now, I've been, I may have been the last person chosen, but I got chosen. I was on the team. And you know what? You know this as well as anybody. It really means something when you get picked. Your peers said, hey, we want you, and the rest of them don't get picked. And they're saying, in essence, we don't want you. So to get picked really mattered. Well, there are three keys that Paul shares about being chosen. The first one is this. Being chosen isn't based on your value. Go back to verse four again. He says this, for he chose us in him. In him's a really important part of this phrase. We didn't earn it. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't, we couldn't measure up enough to get chosen. 
But we were chosen based on what Jesus did. And if we're in Jesus, then we're chosen because of what Jesus did. Secondly, he says being chosen is eternal. Verse four, he goes on, he says, he, for he chose us before the creation of the world, long before you were born, long before the world was even created. He had a plan, and you were part of it. He wanted you to be part of his eternal family. And he knew that thousands of years later, he was going to create you, and he wanted you to be part of it. And number three, we're chosen with an intent. We're chosen with an intent. Look what verse four says. He says, for he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He created us. He created us and then chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. We couldn't have a relationship with God because we had sin in our lives, and that separated us from him. But God, through Jesus, made it possible that we could be holy and blameless, which makes our relationship with God possible. God did this because he wants you to know that you're wanted. You matter. He wanted a relationship with you. He didn't want anyone to miss out on this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read this. He says, he is patient. That's God. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, not wanting anyone to miss out on this blessing. Here's why being chosen by God matters. Everything that we used to, to do to be wanted or to be noticed, to be, to be validated is no longer necessary, especially as it applies to God. Your acceptance by God isn't conditional. It's, it's, ba- it's not based on your performance or your successes. God didn't want anyone to perish and miss out on a relationship with him. He wanted us to be part of his family in heaven for all eternity. So God made a way for us to be, to be clean, to have our, our sins washed away. In other words, we'd say he wanted us. You might be thinking, God wants me, sure, but what about everyone else? Many of us, all of us maybe at one time, have gone to great lengths to to be wanted, to get noticed, to, to feel valued. We think if we could just accomplish something great or attain a certain level of status or make ourselves more attractive, that people will, will value us, they'll choose us, they'll want us. And that way of life is a lot like running on a gerbil wheel. We run and run and run, but we never make any progress. I want you to stop for just a second and think about that way of life. Think about what's happening when we live that way. We allow others to determine our worth when we live to impress them so that they might value us. So the question that comes to my mind is just how far are we willing to go in order to be accepted? Here's the deal. Your value is no longer at stake You can have rest in your soul because what other people think about you no longer has to control your thoughts or your actions. The only thing that truly matters is what God thinks. The only thing that truly matters is what God thinks. And he has made that clear. 
You are accepted, chosen by him because of who you are in Christ. And that last phrase, that last two words, in Christ, is so important. Brings us to the second spiritual blessing. So you were chosen, God chose you, and now God has adopted you. God adopted you. Look what we read in verses four and five. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Through Jesus. Scholar and professor Kenneth Bowles writes about this verse. He says, God's loving plan of salvation called for all those who accept Jesus to be received as sons or daughters. God did not predestine which people would accept Christ. He predestined that whoever did accept him would be adopted into the family. The word predestined actually means literally to set out boundaries in advance. God staked out these boundaries for the group he would adopt, and by his sovereign decree, all those who are in Christ, in Jesus, will be in that group. And whether a person is in God's family or not depends on what that person has done with Jesus. One of the things that I pray before every service that we have is that every person who comes would have an encounter with the Lord during this time. And at this moment, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want you to think about it. What would change if you had your sins washed away and you had the hope of eternity as part of your forever, ever? Just think about it. Never want to pressure anyone to take any kind of step, but I don't want you to miss out on what it means to be part of the family of God. What it would mean to be an adopted son or daughter because you are now in Christ Jesus. See, when you're adopted by God, then you have all the rights and privileges of being in God's family. You are related to him forever. You are, you are not only accepted, you are now his child. So the question is, are you living as a child of God or, more specifically, are you still living as a spiritual orphan? That's how a lot of people live. Maybe you know that you're part of God's family. You know that. But in your heart, you're still looking for love elsewhere in this world. Chip Ingram writes, are you putting God on hold while all your energy goes into gaining approval and acceptance for your achievements, your insights, your reputation, or something else? Are we putting God at arm's length? Understanding that you're adopted by God can set you free from that ineffective life of running on that gerbil wheel, not making any progress. No longer, though, allowing others to define what your value is. It's interesting, if you were reading Paul's letter in the, that was written to the Ephesian church there in the first century, the, their understanding about adoption would have been drastically different than the, the perception that we have of adoption today. 
In Roman law, adoption applied primarily to adults, young adults specifically. Occasionally, a relative would adopt the children of parents who had died, but most of the adoptions were used to designate a future heir of a family's fortune who had no biological children. What would happen is they would find a suitable heir who would be identified, usually one of the brightest and the best in that community, and then he or she would legally become the son or daughter of that family and thus the heir of the fortune. Very often, the adopted heir would be somewhere in their 20s or 30s. And once they were adopted, get this, their past would be rewritten in order to reflect who they were now, not who they used to be. And they would have their name changed to the new family's name. If they had any old debts, those things would be paid off. But here's the important point. It was always clear that this adoptee was chosen for his or her merits his or her potential to increase the family fortune, to honor the family name. They would be a good seed, not a bad egg. The adopted son or daughter had to be worthy of being adopted. So if you were reading this as a, as a person in the first century culture and you were reading Ephesians 1, you would have seen that this was some kind of radical idea that God had, that he would adopt unworthy people, people who didn't measure up. They weren't the brightest and the best. Some of them were some serious losers. God was adopting ordinary people, and he was making them heirs of his. They were part of his family. I want to encourage you. Take steps through this series to see yourself the way God sees you. There are lots of ministers, teachers, Bible school teachers, theologians, Sunday school teachers that know the truths that God loves us and understands that we've been adopted as his children. And these truths are transformative if we allow them to be. But just having that knowledge by itself may not change anything because our need for approval from other people may run really deep. So how do we change our thinking? Paul uses a word, transformation. We have to change the warped caricatures that taint how we see ourselves. Our false perspectives about ourselves need to be replaced with the truth of God's Word. So I'm going to give you three actions to take. This is going to take a little bit of time. If you've been believing something about yourself, for instance, you're not wanted, and you've been believing that for years and years, it may take a while for the transformation to take place. So commit yourself to taking some time, digging into these three action steps. The first is this. I want you to take a legal pad, and I want you to write down all the caricatures of how you see yourself, all the distorted and unhealthy ways that you have seen yourself over the course of your life. Maybe you feel like you're not wanted. Maybe you feel like you're ugly or you're a loser. Your life has no meaning. Write those things down, okay? Also, what I want you to do is write down all the ways that you have looked in the past to find value or acceptance for yourself. What are some of those actions? Write those things down. And then I want you to take some time and just pray through these two lists. 
asking God to reveal to you how the truth about that God has adopted you as a son or daughter affects how you see yourself and the methods in which you've been using to find value and acceptance. Spend some time letting God help you see the way he sees you. Action step number two. I want you to start reading the Gospels. There's four Gospels. They're the first four books of the New Testament. And they're little biographies about the life of Jesus, all four of them. They're powerful, powerful books. And as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want you to write down two things. The ways you see Jesus caring for his followers. You see him showing love or maybe healing someone or, or showing grace, kindness. Write those things down. And, and write the reference for the, each one of those. And then also, I want you to write down the truths that he taught them. He gives a truth. Love your neighbors yourself. And that resonates with you, so write it down. Romans 12, verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? We do it through the Bible, God's Word. It is vital that we have the Word of God regularly renewing our mind. It challenges our thinking. It challenges, it challenges culture's thinking. It exposes lies that we've been believing and that have kept us from living, have, have kept us as living as orphans, spiritual orphans, rather than living as the sons and daughters of God that we actually are. Third action is to praise God for his glorious grace. Praise God for his glorious grace. Look at verse 6, what it says in our text. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That's Jesus in the one he loves. The grace that we received from Jesus. As God dispels the lie that we weren't wanted or other lies and frees us to live as adopted sons and daughters of his, let us praise him for that grace, for what Jesus did. The grace that he offers that makes our adoption into his family a reality. Take some time to walk through these action steps, to expose the enemy's lies, begin transforming your thinking, and then begin living the truth. Let me close with this. As I was uh, preparing for this message, I was doing some research, and I came across a really interesting piece of information Many of you know Jeff Bezos is one of the richest people in the world today, making his fortune on the e-commerce site Amazon. As of September the 2nd, it's estimated that his net worth is $200.1 billion, that's with a B, dollars. As I was reading about his family and those who would be heirs to this fortune, I found out that Bezos and his ex-wife Mackenzie have four children. They have three biological sons and one adopted daughter. And those four, as, as best I could tell, are going to share in their father's remarkable fortune. And I know that some probably start thinking, wow, how lucky that little girl was. She had no idea where she was going to end up. She had no idea the blessings of that. And I know that it's not all blessings to be that wealthy but you get the idea. They chose her 
to be part of their family. And as amazing as that is, and as, as great a blessing as it will be for her to have that kind of wealth and the responsibility as it goes with it, I can't help but recognize the absolutely incredible privilege that's been mine and is hopefully yours to be adopted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no greater privilege than to be part of the family of God for all eternity. So if you're part of that family and you haven't been living with all the privileges that God has given to you, you have been living under the lies that the enemy has sowed into your mind and your heart over the years. I wanna encourage you, start living today. Take steps today to start living every day as a son and daughter of God that you are. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for offering grace through Jesus who paid the price for our sins. We put our faith in him, Lord. We've had our sins washed away and the Holy Spirit lives within us, which means we've been made new. These aren't just theological thoughts or words. This is our eternal reality. You adopted us to be part of your family, Lord. We're sons and daughters in the family of God. And that's who we are. That's our identity, which you've given to us. So God, I pray for those who have been living much less than that. They've believed the lies that you would set them free starting today. Don't let them live one more minute like spiritual orphans who feel unwanted or believe some other lie. It comes from Satan. Expose those lies, God. Begin to transform the way we think. Renew us, our minds, through your word, God, every day, transforming us to know your truth and help us to live like we are the sons and daughters that we are. God, we thank you for the privilege to be part of your family. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.